All right, uh, take your Bibles if you have them or your uh, social uh, media equipment and turn to uh, Romans 3, verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. How many of you are familiar with this verse? Romans 3, 23. Do you know this one? All right, let's say it together if you know it. Here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Popular, right? So I learned this when I was a kid, and um, I'm grateful that my parents taught me the Word of God when I was a kid. Uh, this verse, though, is one that no matter how much I study it, like for this message even this week, no matter how much I study this verse, the context of this verse, I'm always blown away at the, the depth of theology in this verse. Like you might look at this verse and you say, well, I got this one under my belt, learned it in Awana, taught it to my kids, this is the Romans Road, part of the Romans Road, I got it because of that. So I got this verse, but if you look at this verse in the context of Romans chapter three, this verse continues, for me anyways, this verse continues to blow me away. It has impacts in my life on my past, my present, and my future. In fact, this verse, Romans 3.23 caps off all of Romans chapter 1 to chapter 3 up to this point. This verse is really like the, the summary of everything that you read in Romans 1 to Romans 3. It, in fact, it is a grim story of sin. If you were to read Romans 1 to Romans 3, it's just dismal. It says that... Uh, once you get past verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 that talks about faith and all those things that, that Paul begins with, Paul puts us all in the same box. And he says, uh, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 1 to Romans 3 is just all kinds of incidences and cases of what that looks like. Disobedient to parents, we're murders, we're liars, we're cheats, we're all of these different things. And so by the time you get to Romans 3.23, this is a cap to summarize everything that you've read so far in Romans chapter 1 to chapter 3. This verse leads us with a question that divides those who throw themselves at Jesus and those who still try and make it on their own. It leaves us with this question, the question that permeates through human history. How many are righteous? Romans 3.23. That's the point. Romans 1 to Romans 3 is meant to get us to the point where we understand none are righteous, not even one. Have you lied? You're not righteous. Have you disobeyed your parents? You're not righteous. Have you cheated on your taxes? You're not righteous. Have you broken the law? Well, that's an easy one. You're not righteous, right? Have you lied? I went golfing with a guy several years ago. I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. It's one of those conversations that sticks out in my mind. And we're driving to the golf course. I'd never actually spent time with this guy before, and I was getting to know him, and I thought, well, I'll get to know him on the golf course. He's like, Pat, you know, you, get, you find a common denominator and get to know this guy, and where better to do business and get to know somebody than on a golf course, right? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> amen. We're driving out. And he said, you need to know something before we spend time on the golf course. I said, what's that? He said, I'm not very righteous. I said, really? Not very, what? You're not very righteous? What? Why would you say that? He said, well, I don't do righteous things. I, 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 don't, I don't say righteous things. I, I don't act very righteous. 
I remember it sticking out because I'm a pastor and, you know, he has to, like, in case the clubs go flying on the course, he's got to, like, lay down some sort of a foundation so I understand I'm playing golf with an unrighteous person. I get it. But it sticks out in my mind because of how honest and embarrassed he was that he wasn't righteous. Now, put that on hold for a second. I'm going to get back to that story. If Romans 1 to Romans 3 is all about how every one of us fails, until it gets to Romans 3.23 where it says, okay, do you understand? All have sinned and all fall short of God's glory. How many in here are righteous? None are righteous, no, not one. You remember that verse? In other words, there's no hope for my golf buddy and there's no hope for us. Every one of us is accountable to God for how we live in this life. One sin makes you accountable to God for the whole rest of your life. Failure from beginning to end. Even if you blow it one time. You might say, well, Craig, Jesus loves us and he gets us off the hook. Maybe. Maybe you don't know some of the things that Jesus knows that he shared with us even when he was here. Listen to these verses. Jesus has some things he wants us to know. Matthew 5, verse 48 says, You therefore must be what church? This is Jesus speaking. You therefore must be perfect. And in case you wonder what that perfect is, like perfect compared to, you know, uh, my, my Aunt Sylvia who can't control her tongue, you know, maybe that's perfect. I gave, gave me one step beyond Aunt Sylvia. No, you must be perfect as who? As God your Father is perfect. You've got to be that perfect perfect. How many of you feel righteous now? And just in case you're, you're losing it, what if I just sin a little? James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, one point in your life, one point in the law, you've become guilty of how much of it, church? Fail at all of it. One failure. Can you live your life without sinning once? Probably not. And, and if you can, I'd love for you to teach next Sunday because I am not worthy to be teaching. I cannot live my life without sinning once. And one sin makes me guilt of how many different sins? All of them. The law was given to us for this one purpose, so that we can understand every one of us will and do fail. We are not righteous, no, not one. In fact, in Romans 3, 10, 3, uh, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, shut. Shut it. If you're standing up and you're saying, I think that I'm a little bit righteous, Craig. I mean, I, on a scale of really bad Hitler stuff and me, I mean, I, I got a little bit benefit there. Uh, that's why the law was given. God gave us a law to show us every one of us fails so that everyone shuts up so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to who church the whole church the whole world may be held accountable to god this is the message of romans 1 to romans 3 and the bottom line is church the bottom line is we need somebody to get us off the hook we're all in trouble not one of us is ever going to stand in front of god and say I'd like to just talk about how good I am, just for one moment. I think you'll be impressed by this, God. So, uh, and then you lay it out, the best you can come up with. 
I visited my grandmother when she was sick. I, I went to visit these other people when they weren't feeling good. I baked cookies when I was really tired. I, I served at Village Church East every Sunday. I set up all the chairs. And Does that impress God? Not one iota. We pick the best things, but God sees our sin. We all need something outside of ourselves to get us off the hook from being accountable to a lifetime of sin. Now back to my buddy in the, gol- in, in the car as we're going to play golf. He's not very righteous. And I'm thinking to myself, join the club. Wait till you see me on the golf course. You think you're bad out there. Join the club. Every one of us is not righteous. And so I said to him, I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? He said, yeah. And I went through the gospel. Church, do we remember the gospel from last week? I hope that we do. You remember the gospel from last week? Jesus lived, Jesus died for our sins, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus was seen by 500 and more, 500 at one time. Lots and lots of people afterwards. We went through, that's a simple gospel. I said, do you understand the gospel? He said, yeah. I said, do you believe the gospel? Yeah. Then I said this, what if I told you that you are as righteous now and right with God now than you can ever hope to be. And he just stared at me. That is the doctrine of justification. Through Jesus, you have been freed from every judgment of the law. From every condemnation of the law. From every demand of the law. Because of Jesus Christ, you have been let off the hook. You have been set free if you believe in Jesus Christ because through Jesus Christ, you have been freed from every judgment the law demands. And so I'd simply say this. If you're trying to get to heaven on your own, good luck. Read Romans 1 to Romans 3. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, please keep reading the book of Romans because the rest of it is amazing grace. God has what you need, and what you need is justification. Justification takes the grim story of sin and God's wrath and turns it into wonderful news of God's grace made available to all sinners through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. You need justification. You can't make it on your own. Nobody can. We all need Jesus Christ in order to be let off the hook. This is one doctrine you cannot afford to get wrong. Over these next, um, well, we started already last week, and we're going to be doing three more weeks of this, including this week. We're talking about doctrines, all kinds of different doctrines we can believe. Some of them are first-tier doctrines. Some of them are second-tier doctrines. First-tier, like you can be, you know, you can believe, believe different things about uh, um, uh, different passages of Scripture, and it doesn't really affect your spiritual life, and you can still fellowship with other people. Level two kind of takes it a little deeper, Calvinism versus Arminianism and that kind of thing. But level three doctrines, these, these, these level three doctrines, these you cannot afford to get wrong. And justification is a level three. It's a level three top-tier doctrine. So let's talk about it. Are you looking in the right place? I want to take you further into Romans chapter three because this is where it starts getting good. Something changed in human history that made all of the difference. 
And so the question is, if you want to be justified, if you want to stand righteous before God, which is absolutely possible, how do you do it? You have to be looking in the right place. And I would say to you that something changed at one point in human history. Look at Romans 3.21. First two words. But now. But now. This is the transfer of Romans chapter 1 to Romans 3. Romans 3.21 is, is changed. But now. But now something happened. The, in, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It is the but now at the point of time that changed things. Something happened in human history to change history forever. I was married to Beth on October 10th, 1992. Think about that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Before October 10th, 1992, I was single. I was not married. I had no responsibilities. I could have called it off. I, I you know, I... I I had responsibilities of familiarity, but I had no marriage responsibilities. I literally was not married. After October 10th, 1992, I was married. My life completely changed in ways that I had no idea it would change. So people would come up to me and they would say, well, Craig, what made the difference? Well, I was single on October 9th, but now I am no longer single. I am married. Something happened that changed my life forever. This verse in Romans 3.21, Romans 1 to Romans 3 is, you're messed up, you're damned, good luck with life. Every one of you has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.21, but now. Something happened to change all of human history for all time. But now, we were condemned under the law and destined to fall short of God's favor, but now there has been a change. What is the change? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Manifested is simply made visible. Something happened that you could see that changed everything. You have been justified apart from the law. <laughs> that is, oh my goodness. I love this. I could spend more time on this. You have been allowed to be declared right with God apart from obeying the law. But now, something happened and you don't have to obey the law in order to be righteous. You don't have to not ever lie again. You don't have to not ever cheat again. You don't have to not ever... Sleep around again. I mean, you put the, worst, put the worst sin that you can put there. And the point is, but now something changed so that you are no longer judged by the law for the things that you do. It almost sounds wrong to even talk about this because we're so used to keeping the law in order to get favor. But with God, you will never get his favor by keeping the law. Because you can't. The law was never there to show you how you get favor for, from God. The law was to show you how you could never get favor from God. The law was to prove to you that you are a sinner just like me. 
And this is the hardest obstacle to get over for anyone that comes to Jesus Christ. And it has to be the first one. Do you realize that you have done nothing in your life but disappoint the God who made you? There's a way for you to be righteous without keeping the law. You can be declared right without doing good things. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. I love that too. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. That means that whatever this thing happened, whatever this but now moment was, the law and the prophets have told you all about it. In the very law that you're trying to keep, something was prophesied that was going to happen to get you out from under the the condemnation of the law and the requirements of the law. The prophets all put their pen to the page and wrote about this but now. What would happen? Some, something in time was about to happen that would change all of the requirements that you would need to do in order to keep the law. There was a treasure coming, and that treasure is Jesus Christ. It was talked about in Colossians 2.2 that we would understand God's mystery. In the Old Testament, they didn't know it was Jesus. Even when Jesus was here, they didn't know he was the Messiah. They crucified him because they thought he was a false prophet. You remember all this? Nobody knew, only a few, his disciples and a few others knew that who Jesus was because he was hidden like God's mystery. But now looking back on things, we're able to understand Jesus was the Son of God that we would understand God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We are given this treasure map, every one of us, and it's obvious as the pages in your Bible. Everywhere through Scripture, we are given this treasure map that would point us the way to Jesus Christ. Even though the law, when you read it, seems condemning and it seems oppressive, Even there in the law are hidden words that there would be a Messiah to come. Somebody that would live out every aspect of the law so you don't have to. Somebody that would be condemned by the law so you don't have to be condemned. Somebody that would take the pressure of all the sins of this world, all of your sins and all of my sins, so that you don't have to bear it yourself. This treasure was spoken about in the Old Testament by the law and the prophets. Like a treasure map it weaves through. I want to point out four things that we find out along the way as we work toward our treasure, which is Jesus Christ. This new path to this treasure reveals to us that we can become righteous apart from the law. There's a path to become righteous that lives apart from the law. Takes us back to the book of Romans, Romans 3.22, next verse. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction. God provided a righteousness of his own for people who could not attain it on their own. Do you know how many people think they're on pretty good terms with God? A lot of people think they're on pretty good terms with God. That's the danger. You don't get that from reading the Bible. In the Bible, when you read about us in our fallen state, apart from Jesus Christ, you never get, hey, you're pretty good with God. You get a lot of different words, though, enemies of God, you get rebels, you get vessels of wrath, you get without God, without hope, 
You got all of these different words and a whole lot more that talk about us in our natural state. Without Jesus Christ, we are not friends of God. We are enemies of God. There are a lot of people that think they're pretty good with God, but they don't have Jesus Christ, then they are enemies of God. And that's what we have to get through our because it's very popular to say we're, we're all children of God. In, the, in that very sense of that word, that's true. We're all made by God, but we're not all in God's family. Amen. In order to be in God's family, you've got to have a brother named Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you don't have a brother named Jesus Christ, you are not in the family of God. The law is to remind us how we miss being good every now and then. <laughs> not just how we miss being good every now and then. The law is to remind us that we will never be good enough for God's standards. We always fall short. So we start on this path to, to Jesus Christ. And the second thing we come along is that we realize this path is a path that will help us escape condemnation. You have a path on your way to discover Jesus Christ that will help you escape the condemnation of the law. Do you know what the condemnation of the law is? Hellfire for eternity. You have a path through Jesus Christ to escape that. If I was accused of tax fraud, I would have a guy show up at my door, works for one of the greatest organizations on the planet, the IRS, and he would come to my door and he would sit down with me and he would say, you are accused of tax fraud and I'm gonna prove it. And he would bring out all his papers and he would lay them on the table. Not that this has ever happened, but in my mind, this is how it would go. And he'd lay out all the papers and he would say to me, look, See, you committed fraud here, you, you were too high in your estimates here, you lied in this blank right here, and he, would, and he would point it all to me. And you know what I would do? I would spend a lot of time finding all of my proof, and I would lay it on the table, and I would say, no, 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 you missed it. Here's why I put this in this blank, and here's why this reads this way, and I forgot to fill out this like I should. Let me correct that right now. But we would play, we would play enemies with one another until I prove my innocence or he proves my guilt. And eventually, if I could prove my innocence, he walks away, and I don't have to pay anything. And if I can't prove my innocence, I have to pay a fine. Listen, every person on the planet will stand before God one day, and you will never be able to prove your innocence. It is impossible, because one sin violates them all. How will you defend yourself? For me, I know very well how I will defend myself. I got it memorized. I got it. I'm ready. Romans 8, 1 and 2. You know this verse? There is therefore, speak it with me so that you can at least hear the words and maybe they'll sink into your memory as well. Here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Memorize it. Now you won't actually, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you won't actually stand before God and defend your life ever. Did you know that? There's no big screen in, in big screen TV. You'll never get up to heaven and God will say, I know you belong to my family, but I'd like to point out what a loser you are. Would everybody turn to the screen and take a look and see what John did on August 18, 2018? And then we all go, oh, John's a loser. <laughs> Doesn't happen that way. You know why? Every one of your sins was judged already, was condemned already, was paid for already. 
Jesus died on the cross and your sins are not held against you. They are gone. And when God says they're gone, he means they're gone. They're from the east is from the west. You know, if you go north, how long do you, do you, eventually you'll start going south, right? Go north, you'll start going south. If you go east, when do you start going west? You don't. God casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. He puts them into the deepest sea. It says he remembers them no longer. You want to know why? Because he never will hold those sins against you. They have been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are set free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you get to heaven, you will never stand before the great white throne if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't get judged for your sin. Your sins are gone. They've already been judged. They were on the shoulders of Jesus when he died on the cross. Amen. Your sins in the past, your sins in the present, and your sins in the future. You are righteous before God. See why I love this doctrine? I will say because of, because of Jesus, I am not condemned under the law, but somebody had to pay for my bill. Somebody had to pay for my sins. And that's why Jesus is essential to my faith. Because nobody else could pay my bill. It was way too high. In fact, when I become a believer, when I follow Jesus Christ, when I give my life to him and follow him in my life. I am clothed with his own righteousness. When I go out in 30 below degree weather, which happens like half the year here in Chicago, I like to pick my heaviest jacket and I like to put it around me as closely as I can and spend as little time outside as possible. That's why in the winter you gain weight and in the summer you lose it, right? <laughs> You've, you put the parka around, you just stick your, your, your head in the hood and you, you, you close it tightly. Because if you are exposed to the elements, it's only a matter of time before you lose a limb or you lose your life. When you stand before God, if you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you will suffer loss. That is the only clothing that can save us. You are freed from the condemnation. Not only that, but if you keep along this path to Jesus Christ, you will find a path out of bondage that is available apart from keeping the law. Do you know how many people live their lives feeling like they are slaves to their sin? And maybe you believe that too. Maybe you believe that in your life there's some sins you just are never going to get rid of. The Bible knows that and calls those sins that easily beset you. But you need to know something. When Jesus died on the cross, if he imputes his righteousness to you through justification, you have the ability to not be under the bondage of sin. You have been set free. Free indeed. That's who the Son sets free. They shall be free indeed. In other words, if you're under some weird assumption from some crazy pastor that told you that God knows your faults and learns to live with them or you'll always have them and there's no way you can get over them, you need to walk out of that church because Jesus' death on the cross gave you the ability to be freed from every sin that easily besets you. It's a natural feeling to feel that way. It's a natural feeling to feel like you can't change. Every pedophile priest in Philadelphia this week, they did not grow up thinking themselves, I'd like to be that kind of a man when I grow up. Every one of them. But they let sin into their lives and that sin got their talons into them and every one of them fell into this terrible sin because this sin grabbed them. 
And for some reason, they did not have the ability or the understanding or the, or the humility to go before God and claim their freedom through Jesus Christ. Justification releases us from the enslavement feeling and the enslavement that we have to sin. You have been freed indeed. Not only that, but you keep walking along the path and you will find that you have the ability to belong to God that's apart from keeping the law. You have the ability to be a part of God's family without doing anything right. Anything to impress your father. <laughs> this, oh, it's amazing to me. Imagine this. Imagine that you are invited to a party because your wife works for a very rich person. Let's say the governor of the state. So your, your wife works for the governor of the state and you have to go to this party. And you work as a garbage person. We'll say a garbage person just in case you're female. And so here's, here's some garbage <laughs> people there. <laughs> you like that, right? Uh, long live Emilio Estevez. All right. So you get invited to this party and you don't have time to change and you smell and you don't have time to clean up. You just have to show up at the party afterwards and you can't be late. So you show up afterwards and you realize as soon as you walk in, it's black tie. Everybody's dressed in beautiful gowns, beautiful outfits. The, the food is all gourmet. It's all, everything is white. It's just beautiful. And you walk in like this. You don't have time to change. And your wife says, oh, I'm so happy you're here. It means so much to me that you would come over. And you're going, have you, uh, have you seen what I'm wearing here? I don't fit in. And she says, oh, that's okay. Nobody will notice. Come on, let's go over. I'll introduce you to my friends. So you go over and you start being introduced to all these friends and they, they grab your hand and they shake it and they're thinking to themselves, I need a wet wipe. I need, I can't. And you, and you go over and you're going, I don't want to shake their hands. I don't want people to know I'm here. And then, and then your wife says to you, hey, the governor wants us to sit at his table. It's in the very front and he wants us to sit right next to him. So let's go up and let's meet him and we'll have dinner right in the front so everybody can see us. And you're, what's your attitude? It's gonna be, no, 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 I gotta, you're looking for the nearest exit and your wife may divorce you, but at this point, you don't care. You just wanna get out of there, right? I wanna tell you, when you appear before God, in his holiness, nobody is gonna be able to see anything but the way that they really look. And the closer, C.S. Lewis says, the closer you get to God in his holiness and the more revealed you are in your sin. And nobody is going to be anxious for that. You think it's difficult to go in as a garbage man to a, to a, uh, to a black tie dinner with a the governor there. Can you imagine meeting the God of the universe in your present sinful state who knows everything about you? Everywhere you've been, everybody you've talked to, everything you've done in private, every thought you've had, every word you've said, and you're ready to meet God like that? What's the first thing you would do? Probably hide like Adam and Eve, right? If you're at the party, I try and explain and say, first thing I do is, I'm, I'm sorry, I just came from work. I'm sorry I look like this. I know I look like a, a, a terrible person. I'm, I'm not a terrible person. And you try to explain it to him, you know can't explain things to God. He knows you too well. You try to look for an exit. There's no exit. You die. Next thing you see is God. There's no exit. What are you going to do? Justification, listen, gives you the right to belong. Amen. Justification is the doctrine that gives you the right to belong. You want to know why? Because no matter what you look like, 
no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what crud is all over you, you do not wear anything but the righteousness of God. You don't wear righteousness that he can give to you and lose a little of himself. You wear the very righteousness of God the Father. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about this, and there's one of my favorite verses in Revelation chapter 7. At the end times, John is given a vision into heaven. And he's, he, he, he looks into heaven and he sees this, this play that happens and, and what happens at the end times. And, and Revelation is an amazing book. In fact, I was talking to, to uh, Mark about it a little bit this morning. It's an amazing book. And some of the things are unclear and some of the things are symbolic and, and whatnot. But there's one picture in Revelation chapter 7 that burns in my mind. Uh, you should read it, Revelation 7. Here's just two, three verses out of it. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every single nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in what church? Clothed in white robes. Where'd they get the white robes from? From Jesus Christ. We wear his righteousness, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You will never stand before God in your natural state if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. You wear the righteousness of God and that gives you purpose. It gives you the right to belong to his family. You join this throng of people. God doesn't see you as you were. He sees you as you are. And if you know Jesus Christ, he sees you this way. We sing about this. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. You belong at this party. Isn't that good? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you belong at this party. You may think you got garbage clothes on. You don't understand. You are wearing the righteousness of Jesus. You belong at this party. You belong in this family. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter how condemned you feel under the law. What matters is what Jesus has done for you, how condemned he was for you, and the fact that he has given you his righteousness that you wear. You belong at this party. On your own, you'll never be righteous enough. You'll always be condemned. You'll constantly feel in bondage to sin, and you'll never belong. But here's where you should look. This is where you should look. Romans 3, 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who, what church? Believe. Is for all who believe. For there is no distinction. You love that? There's no distinction. Canadians are allowed in. <laughs> Americans are allowed in. Redheads are allowed in. Girls are allowed in this club. Boys are allowed in this club. Slaves, slaves. Servants, masters, managers, rich people, poor people, bottom of the level people, top of the ladder people, single parents, children, adults, there's no distinction. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. My children are all 18 and under, but they've all made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. That means faith is for them too, for all who believe.
And it's not just the righteousness that God has. Don't you love that? It's not that it's just the righteousness that God can spare. It's the righteousness of God. You remember the verse that we read where Jesus said, unless you're perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, you're not getting in. This verse says, but you can. You can have the very righteousness of God himself. It's not something that God has that he can give you. It's something that God is. Did you know that God doesn't have love? God is love. And God doesn't have righteousness. God is righteous. That's the righteousness you wear. Not the righteousness he can spare. Not the righteousness that he can, uh, he can give you because he's got a lot hanging around. You wear the very character of righteousness that God himself wears. If you are to be saved from your sins, you've got to have this level of righteousness. And it's for all who believe. There's no distinction. In other words, there has to be a moment of time that's your but now. I used to not believe, but now I do believe. You've got to have that but now moment. Every one of the people that join the church, it's one of the first questions we ask. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Yes. How do you know that? Give us your but now moment. When, okay, who were you before? I was this before. Who are you now? I'm this now. I don't really know when that was, like five o'clock on, on uh, Tuesday in 2006. I don't know what date it was. All I know is that I was this, but now I'm this. Maybe you don't know a, a specific date, but you know the but now. Every person who believes must have that moment. Why? Because verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short, of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. You are justified by grace. Can you earn it? Nope. nope. It's a gift. What is a gift? Don't you love Christmas? It's a gift. Can you imagine your father giving you a gift at Christmas? Working so hard, working an extra job so that you can have this gift. Let's say I buy a gift for Beth. Let's make it real. <laughs> Work an extra job get this gift. I mean, I bust my rear end to make sure that we have some money so I can get this one thing that she really, jewelry, she loves jewelry. So I get this one thing, this jewelry. She opens it up and she goes, oh, Craig, you got me jewelry finally after 28 years of marriage. You got me some piece of jewelry. And I'll say, yeah, I really, I worked hard for it. Do you love it? Oh, I love it. Hang on a second. Let me see if I have some money I can pay you for it. How would, how would I feel? Why? Because it's a gift. Do you know justification is a gift? If you think you can earn it, do you have no understanding how that insults God who crucified his son so that you could have it as a gift? It's through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' life, death for sins, burial, resurrection. Next verse, whom God put forward as a propitiation, Jesus Christ by his blood, to be received by what church? Faith. Received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. In other words, a propitiation by his blood, is a, that's the moment when God's righteousness is given to you. It's a propitiation moment when it's imputed from Jesus and it's imputed into your life. It is on your account now. You are no longer a sinner going to hell. You are a saved Christian who's been made righteous. That's the moment of justification and it's to be received in faith. What does it mean that uh, in divine forbearance he had passed over former sins? Does that mean that God used to overlook sins before and now he doesn't overlook sins? No, 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 you're missing the treasure map. 
The treasure map says that everything in the Bible points toward one thing. What is that one thing? No, well, the cross, but Jesus Christ. Remember the X? X marks the spot. It was a great slide. Did you not see that? It's one of the best slides ever. Jesus Christ is is the treasure. We move toward that treasure. That's the mystery that was hidden in times past. It doesn't mean that God overlooked sins of the Old Testament. It means that God... God's timing had a revealed Messiah who would pay for the sins of the Old Testament, sins of the New Testament, and our sins today. In divine forbearance, he passed over former sins because he knew Jesus would come, and when he came and he would die for our sins on the cross, those sins would be paid for. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God is just. And if you want to be just, you have to let the just justify you. That, that is justification. This doctrine changes everything. Get this doctrine right, and you will find a lot of other doctrines for you will fall into place nicely. Let me give you a few illustrations. I had a charismatic guy that came by my house one day and he sat with me and he said, Craig, unless you speak in tongues, you can't be saved. Now, if I know justification, this doctrine, I'm able to say to him, that's baloney. You want to know why? Because that's a work and no work is going to get me into heaven. If I can't be saved until I do that work, you have put something above the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he did on the cross. How about the girl... I spoke with who told me that she believed that she could lose her salvation. Well, if you believe in justification, you can't believe you'll lose your salvation. Why? Because if God justifies, if God declares you righteous, show me one verse where he declares you unrighteous. There is none. When God declares you righteous, you're righteous for all time. Can't be changed. You are not the person you used to be. Now you're standing before God is you are righteous. How many of your sins have been forgiven? Past? Present? Future? Then you can't lose your salvation, you understand? So you get this right, a lot of these other things will fall into place. How, How about my Islamic friend who told me that I had to do a certain amount of good works that would outweigh my bad works? That's a pretty easy one, right? Well, works will never get you into heaven. So that doesn't work. And any passage that you read in any book no matter if it's a Quran or any other book that says your good works have to outweigh your bad works, if you get justification down, you say, that doesn't fit. Get this doctrine down, you'll get some other doctrines out of the way, some other belief systems out of the way. Let's do some harder ones. What about my Catholic priest friend that I had in Madison? Loved him. He was a, he was a hoot. He was hilarious. What about my Catholic priest friend who told me traditionally The Catholic Church teaches justification as ongoing good works that bring grace into my life. Why would you need Jesus? Why would you need Jesus? Exactly. Justification is a one-time permanent declaration of God that I am once for all righteous before God. It has no regard for my morality, my good behavior, my right living whatsoever. It has to do with what God sees me as now. There is no connection between my works and my standing before God. Well, Craig, that sounds a little bit crazy. What about James 2.21? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) James 2.21 says, Abraham was justified by works. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham, uh, uh, sorry, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? Wait a minute. Well, doesn't this say that Abraham was justified by works when he did a work of sacrificing Isaac on the altar? Without going into the details, hopefully you know the story. That's not what that says. If you look at it not in the context, you cut that out and put it on the wall, it certainly seems to say that he was justified by what he did. And later on, actually, it talks about Rahab. Rahab was justified by lying about the, sl- the, the uh, spies being in her room when they came to kill the Israeli spies. That's not what this passage is talking about. In the context, this is talking about horizontal versus vertical justification. In other words, my standing before God is justified and will never change. He declares me righteous, I am righteous and good to go. However, my works that I do after that point of justification prove or are evidence that this relationship is really what I say that it is. My life will not ever be the same. Exactly. So I'm married to Beth, October 10th, 1992. (laughs) I will always be married to Beth. Now in this day and age, you can get divorced or whatnot, but the intent of scripture and the intent of my vows were that they would never break. The only reason it would break is if, if one of us was so rebellious that we would create a relationship that was broken. But that's not my intent. It wasn't on my wedding day, and it never will be. My intent is to keep my vows. If I break those vows, it only proves that I'm human. God declares me righteous. God can't ever break his vows. God breaks his vows. He ceases to be God. There is no heaven. There is only hell. God can't break his vows. So if God declares you righteous, you are righteous indeed. You're righteous for all time. But if you are indeed righteous you will behave vertically as if you have been changed. If there's no fruit, the, Jesus calls us fruit, if there's no fruit of my justification after I'm saved, fruit that I, my works are justified because I've been justified, then there might be something wrong with my declaration of justification. I may not have a but now. In fact, look at this verse, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yeah, no works there, right? His belief was what counted as righteousness. That's justification, and he was called not an enemy, but a friend of God. Abraham believed God and found his moment of justification, but from that moment on, his outer actions demonstrated an inner reality that he had been justified by God. Understand? Well, that takes us to the next one. This is one, nobody's going to ask you questions about Abraham, but how about this? What if those who profess faith in Christ fall away? Well, not all faith professions are the same. Some are actually fake. Sincerity doesn't mean something is true. You can sincerely believe something, but it's not true. Um, I can sincerely believe that I'm Irish, but I'm actually... Canadian. I can sincerely believe that I'm a middle-aged African-American lady, but I am still a white, middle-aged, overweight human being. I can sincerely believe I'm a kangaroo, but prick my blood and you'll find out that I'm human. So whether it is declared on my behalf, some things are true whether I believe them or not, which takes me to the last one. 
What if I don't feel like I'm righteous before God? Do you ever feel sometimes like you're not righteous before God? Take heart. Justification has zero regard for how you feel. If God declares you righteous, you are righteous indeed. There's no point of time, no matter how bad your day is, how rough life gets, that you are not any longer justified by God. He declares you righteous, and he will keep you righteous. This is all through faith in what Jesus did. It has nothing to do with what I can do. 24, let me say it to you again. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. When Jesus showed up, everything changed. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about the but now. Faith answered the accusations of the law with but now. This is God's divine nevertheless. Ever write a paper and, you, and you're going, it's so bad, it's so bad, it's so bad. Nevertheless, something great happened. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But now, Jesus has come so that you could be freed from the condemnation, the penalty, the isolation of the law. Jesus is the hinge upon which the door of my justification before God swings. Let me say that one more time because it's really good. Jesus is the hinge upon which the door of my justification before God swings. Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. Jesus was perfect, so you don't have to be. Yes? Can you say it again? Slower. Slower. Jesus is the hinge upon which the door of my justification before God swings. Have you had your butt now moment? I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was subject to the just wrath of God, but now I've been saved through Jesus Christ. This is why there is a cross in this church. This is why you'll never come into this church and we, you, you, we'll go through a Sunday without mentioning Jesus. <laughs> this is why Jesus is the one we worship and we praise, we sing about, we pray to. This is why Jesus is the crux of everything we do. Because without him, without our but now moment, oh, how lost we would be. We come to communion, and uh, that's about the best introduction that anyone could give, I think, for communion, was the fact that through Jesus, we are able to have a relationship with the Father. Our sin created a barrier that could not be overlooked, could not be crawled under, could not be climbed over. In fact, Jesus, it says in the Bible in the New Testament that Jesus broke down the barriers between us and the Father. He tore down the walls of hostility that existed between us and God. Because God can't have a relationship with sin. The Father cannot look on sin. And yet every time we pray, he loves to hear us pray. Explain that. It's only possible because of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is what we wear. And because we wear his righteousness, we belong. And when we come to the Father, he welcomes us in. And when we sing, he loves to hear us sing. And when we work and we serve him, he loves to be a part of those activities as well. God loves to be involved in our lives, and it's only because of Jesus Christ. So when we come to the communion table, this is our last moment reminder before we leave that we 
are grateful for Jesus Christ. The juice that you drink represents the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. To get rid of them. Cast them as far as the east is from the west. The cracker that you eat represents the body that Jesus gave on that cross that was pierced for our transgressions, that was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Every time we take communion, we're reminded of those words. That's what it took for us to be right with God. So if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't know what that means. We, we're doing something new. We've got a prayer section over here. We're going to have a prayer team by that banner that says prayer on it. And if you'd like to learn more about Jesus Christ, or maybe you just got something on your heart and you go, oh, I just need somebody to pray for me, that's your spot to hit after the service. You don't have to help tear down or anything. We're going to keep that spot clear for you. Put some chairs over there. And if you want somebody to pray with you about anything, but especially if you want to give your life to Jesus, we would love to take that opportunity and do that with you this morning. If somebody brought you, I'm sure they'd be willing to come over and sit with you and, and uh, answer questions that you had. But this is why we're here. We want to share with you hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then these, these, this is just a cup of juice and bread to you. Just pass it on and don't partake. We don't want you to declare something to be true that's not true for you. But if you want to make it true for you, We'd love to do that with you this morning. Make sure you know before you leave that door right there that you are right, righteous before God. We're going to pass out the, the trays and you can take juice and you can take bread out and stand. The band will be playing. Stand, hold on to it. Don't eat, don't drink, just hold on to it. And we're going to sing uh, one of my favorite songs in all the world. Uh, and then uh, I'll come up, I'll read a passage of scripture and we'll eat together and drink together. Do you know why we do that? We do that because I am on the same, in the same boat as you. Were it not for Jesus Christ, uh, we all would be doomed. And so we're going to eat and drink together declaring that we all need Christ, whether we're preaching a message or walking in from the children's area or just sitting in your seat where you are. All right. Before we do any of that, uh, would you just take a moment and bow your head? If you have children with you, gather them together. Bow your head this morning and take a moment and thank God for a new fresh look at justification. Hopefully it was fresh for you. It certainly was for me. And just thank God for his sacrifice on the cross. Would you do that as we bow our heads and pray? The doctrine of justification could be old, musty, cobweb-filled. It could be talked about in theological circles with no mustard and no meat and no emotion. It could be discussed in philosophical circles with no heart. It could be just studied as one would study a book. But for us, Father, who are gathered here, it has changed our lives. This understanding that we were damned, but we have been set free. Declared righteous, all because of what Jesus has done for us. He who knew no sin, 
became sin for us so that we might wear the righteousness of God. Thank you for giving us this great sacrifice. Thank you for giving us this great gift. Thank you for rescuing us from the demands of the law. And thank you for rescuing us from the condemnation that the law demands. Even though you wrote the law and the law is good, it reminds us of how bad we are. Thank you for taking away the requirements of the law because Jesus fulfilled them all for us. Thank you that he died so that we could be free. I pray that this message of justification has not fallen on deaf or stiff or old, bored ears. But help us to understand even a little more of what it took so that we could be declared right before you. Bless us as we take up this communion now. And thank you for Jesus Christ, whose name we pray, amen.